We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we are live. Once again, it is the Field of 68 postgame show. My name is Rob Doster. That gentleman that you see there next to me is the one and only John Fanta. We just finished watching uh, UCLA survive, maybe is the right word. Win a dogfight, maybe that's the better word. Um, whatever it was, it was not pretty, but it did happen. Bill Walton, Bill Walton was right. UCLA, first four to the final four, second team to ever do it, and they get the honor of facing off with the undefeated Gonzaga Bulldogs in the final four. Fanta, how you feeling right now, man? That was a that was not a pretty basketball game. It was a stressful basketball game. I I found it pretty entertaining, uh, and you know I, I'm just glad that I'm not Franz Wagner right now after the shots that he missed. Yeah, Rob, this was just a total rock fight. It was a Mick Cronin style game. This is what oh, Mick Cronin yeah. did at Cincinnati, and I think that when he got hired by UCLA, everybody said, "Man, his style in Westwood, uh, it's kind of like oil and water." But you know what? It, it's won. It's won a lot of big games, and it's just so happened to win in this NCAA tournament. And, and I got to tell you, um, I thought Michigan had every opportunity to take this game from UCLA. Um, you're talking about back-to-back point-blank looks at the bucket from Hunter Dickinson and from Mike Smith. Um, after the Chandy Brown three, I really thought Michigan had seized some of the momentum. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I credit Ty Campbell. I credit Johnny Juzang. Those guys hit so many tough, tough shots. UCLA did a terrific job of making the game physical and matching Dickinson and Michigan's post players, matching their physicality. So UCLA won a total rock fight. When you get into that type of game, either side can win. Um, but, man, it, it does feel like you know it's elation for UCLA. But I guess as we come on the air, I feel more of a gut punch for Michigan because I felt like Michigan was so much better than what they showed tonight. Yeah. Oh man. It's, it's, I do feel bad for him. Um, I think that today was the first time we really saw the impact of not having Isaiah livers because there was no, that they just couldn't create any space whatsoever. No. Um, it kind of got to the point where what Michigan's only option was offensively was uh, just throw the ball into to, to Hunter Dickinson or to Austin Davis in the post and try to let some let them back somebody down from 12 feet. And as we know, the reason that doesn't really exist in basketball anymore um, is because uh, that's the the most inefficient way to try to score. Uh, yeah. And um, they did not get any help from Franz Wagner, who just who picked the worst possible day to just have a complete stinker. Um, yeah. Not get any help from Mike Smith, who. Uh, really struggled with what UCLA was doing, and actually, I, you know, I thought it was pretty interesting what what Mick Cronin did defensively. Um, he was very, very effective playing his kind of like his switching man to man slash like matchup zone. Uh, and this is a UCLA team that is actually built pretty well to be able to do that, especially from two to four. They have three or four dudes that are all in that kind of six six to six eight range that can guard different positions, and they basically just took away anything that Michigan wanted to run to try to create offense. Uh, and they forced them into a situation where you had to trust some of these guys to go out and create something on their own one-on-one. And we've talked about this ad nauseum. That is not how Michigan is built to win basketball games. Um, and it's unfortunate for Michigan that they ran into this matchup. I really, again, 
they have the shooting and the athleticism of Isaiah Livers out there. It might be a different story, but they didn't have him. Johnny Juzang went absolutely bonkers. Shout out to him. Uh, he was, I mean, he was so good. He was he was unbelievable in this game. Yeah, and he, let, me ask, he, let me ask you this, fans. Where where do you at this point right now? Um, is he is he the most outstanding player of the tournament to date? Wow. Where do you, where do you go with? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I actually think for UCLA, Hawkes has had moments of brilliance too. Um, so even Mick Cronin might have to have a decision to make there. Mm-hmm. But in this tournament as a whole, again, another team that has a number of guys that could do it. So it has to be Juzang in my opinion. So I, I'm with you on that. The only other guy I would argue is is Drew Timmy. Yep. Um, I would I would argue for Drew Timmy just because he's been outstanding in this tournament. I'd probably give him the, the slight edge here. But after Timmy, I would actually submit Juzang. Um, I, I think it'd be, it'd be back and forth. The only reason why I would you know, be a little apprehensive is Gonzaga has so many great pieces and parts. This UCLA team does not have so many great pieces and parts. Johnny Juzang had to will his team tonight. That baseline runner down the stretch, uh, down the, yeah, late in the game, like that, that's a really, really difficult shot. So I'll tell you what, um, Juzang has put this team on his back. Max says, Timmy, as you hear from me, Max, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I, I'd probably be between Timmy or Juzang. I'd probably vote for, for Timmy, but it would not uh, surprise me at all if somebody said Juzang. I just saw that the uh, the opening line uh, for Gonzaga and UCLA 13. is 14 and a half. Yeah, 13? Yep. I saw 14. Uh, it's the, I'm looking at it right now. It's Circa. It's Gonzaga's laying 13, and the total is 143.5, uh, which I think means I'm going to be on Gonzaga, and I'm going to be on the over in that spot. Um so yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe just said, "Fanta, you need to switch to Comcast high speed internet." Uh, and he's Fanta. Fanta is not in his own place right now, so uh, so it's not his fault. Don't blame Fanta. This is not him. Um, I will say this though: we we have some people saying she cannot wait for next Monday. I think she wants to kill me. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I will say this about about Timmy. Uh, he's been unbelievable, and for me, he's probably. Uh, like 1B in terms of best player in this tournament. But the point that you made, about Fanta, about the about what Juzang has done, Timmy has been almost a product of the system, if that makes sense. And that's not a knock on him. Uh, but what Gonzaga does is they run an offense that's basically designed to say, we're going to spread the floor. We're going to create these one-on-ones for Timmy in the post. And we're going to make sure he gets all of these touches um, and and all and these finishes. And, and he's great at that. Like, don't get, I'm not saying that he's not bad. He's great at it. Um, and there's a reason why so many good bigs end up at at Gonzaga because this is what they want to be able to do. This is how Mark Few's offense works. Uh, the difference is with Juzang, it's not he. What he's been doing has not been um, something that's necessarily been schemed that way. It's all right. Give the ball to Johnny, clear out, and let's see if he can make something happen. And he goes out and he scores just enough, despite the fact that he's dealing with a bum ankle that just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. Uh, he's been able to do just enough to get his team an 11 seed from the first four to the final four. For, so for me, that, that that's why it's Juzang, just because like he's really put this team on his back for long stretches of games. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, look. Here's the thing, Rob. You could play as, as good a defense as you want. And like history and baseball just commented, how important is defense? We only talk about offense, but all four teams play extreme D. Well, defense in this tournament, if you're going to get this far, is a given. We talk about offense because at the end of the day, you got to score the ball. And for UCLA, th- this is a team that if Johnny Juzang doesn't play elite basketball tonight, UCLA loses this game by eight to 10 points. They really do. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. we're talking offense because you got to be able to score. I mean, uh, in a, what was it, a 51 to 49 game, Johnny Juzang had over half his team's points. So, you know, I got to say, this is this is disappointing for Michigan, and I am not going to sit here, and Rob, I'm interested to get your thought process. I don't think that Jawan Howard got out coached in this game. He, he was able to create situations for his team to make certain things happen. Franz Wagner got an open look. 
he airballed the shot. Hunter Dickinson was posting up a guy that he's bigger than. He missed it. Mike Smith got a couple of open looks. He missed them. Michigan missed so many shots tonight inside the cylinder that I do not mind at all them going for threes late in this game. I don't think that um, that Jawan Howard got exposed tonight. He would still be my national coach of the year. I, I would vote him as such. I just think tonight Franz Wagner picked the worst time to have a bad game, and Michigan missed some shots um, that that they needed to make. And Zama says, no longer a Michigan fan. Come on. I, I mean, like – Come on, be better than that. No, this this was a team. First, first and foremost, let, let's get this straight. There's a reason why nobody had Michigan anywhere near top three in the country this yes. season. Yes, yes, because they don't. They, that roster is not what you would expect your top three roster to be. Go through and look at the players they got, and then go through it and look at the talent on Gonzaga, and look at the talent on Baylor. Those are the two comparisons that you need to make. Um, Baylor has. Uh, at least one uh, first-round pick and probably three guys that are going to end up playing in the NBA. Um, Gonzaga is absolutely, like, star-studded, right? Michigan's best player is a guy that, like, profiles as a role player in Franz Wagner. Um, They run everything through a five-man that really, like, he was kind of exposed a little bit tonight because he can't really go to his right hand. Uh, They were playing without their best player, probably, in Isaiah Livers. Um, and beyond that, like, I think they really only have one guy, at least on the floor tonight, they really only had one guy that's going to end up playing in the NBA. Their starting point guard is a transfer from Columbia. Like the fact that Juwan Howard put this team together and got them to the point that they were as good as they were is a fantastic coaching job. Yeah. Fantastic coaching job. Like the biggest difference at the end of the day, what this game came down to, which is something that we talked about last night, Fanta, is that. UCLA has guys on that team that can go out and make a play on their own. When, when you don't have anything else going on, you can say, all right, Johnny, we're going to give you the rock. We're going to clear out. Go make something happen. All right, we're going to give Jaime the rock. Go clear out. Make something happen. Mm-hmm. Cody, we're going give to you, give you the ball in the post. Even though you have a seven-foot-one monster on you, go make a play. Make something happen. And UCLA's guys were able to do that enough to get it done. And they were good enough defensively to make sure that Franz Wagner did not have his best game to make sure that Mike Smith was ineffective, to do a phenomenal job on Hunter Dickinson. Like, Hunter Dickinson is a monster at the college level, and all they did was they sat on his right shoulder, and they said, we are not going to let you get to your left hand. Go right. We dare you. And they were able to stop him. Like, to me, this was fantastic execution from a UCLA team that played completely above their head, and it was Michigan. I don't want, like, I'm not going to say – we we got Leonard in here saying Michigan should be hanging their heads in shame. I, I got to put him back in timeout, Fanta. Michigan should be hanging their heads in shame. No, they yeah. should. Leonard Taylor, <laughs> Leonard's going back in timeout. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. These are 18 to 22-year-old kids, okay? Let me stop the show right now. These kids get up every morning at 6.30 a.m. to go and test. They don't go back to bed. They, they then go to practice. They then come back. They work on their class stuff. Um, they eat a meal, they go watch film, they then get a test result, they go back to their room so they're in isolation playing PlayStation, and then they go to bed, and then they wake up at 6.30 the next morning. Um, I, I had a chance to do what these kids are doing for a week in New York City, Rob, and I didn't play one second of a game, and I've never been more exhausted in my life. Mm-hmm. So I want to credit these kids for everything they've been through. If they can get through this, they can get through anything. Nobody should be hanging their heads. Michigan had a fantastic season. Tonight was the epitome of Mick Cronin basketball. And in Mick Cronin basketball, it's one of those things where a four or five point lead feels like 10 or 11. That's how it's always been. This game was nip and tuck. And basketball, this is where you're going to get the brilliant analysis from us on the field of 68, sometimes is a make or miss game. If Hunter Dickinson turns and hits that shot off the window out of the timeout, uh, with just over two minutes on the clock, we call Jawan Howard a genius and great well, job. Well, not, not just Set that. Up. How about the free throws that he missed? How about yeah, the, yeah. the the wide open three that Franz Wagner airballed? Right? How about yeah. the pull up three that Mike Smith missed? The all all of those three things are things that at, at in an in a normal game, at least one of those things happens. Right? Hunter Dickinson makes two of the three free throws, or Franz Wagner makes that open three, or Mike Smith makes the pull up the great look he got at the end. 
right? One of those three things normally goes in for you. And then we're having a very different conversation here. Um, real quick, real quick. I just wanted to pivot for one second um, because I got, I, I got a question on Twitter from someone that was asking why Hunter Dickinson took the ball inbounds. Um, there's a couple reasons for it. One, I'm guessing that Jawan Howard assumed that uh, he would that that what Mick was going to do was put the tallest guy that he had in front of the ball. So you get Hunter Dickinson, who is seven foot, um, there to try to just get the ball up high, so it does. You don't have to worry about having it be deflected uh, when you're passing it in, and there's a shorter space between where, where you're throwing it from and where the ball's got to get tipped in. Um, the other part of it is that in that spot, you need something more than just a tall guy. You need your best leaper. There's a reason why Brandon Johns, if you go back and watch the last play, Brandon Johns is the guy where they get the cross screen and he's coming behind him and, mm -hmm. and trying to set up for the lob. Yep. And if yeah, you exactly. watch the replay, UCLA had three guys around the basket. Like that was not going to get there. That's why he got kicked out to Franz and, and Franz got the chance to uh, to hit the shot to uh, to win the game. Yeah, that, and, that, and let me that, go off that. So many times they go to a big man in that inbounds play. The big man's not coordinating and quick enough to get the ball off his hands with 0.5 to go and into the into the hoop. So that just would have been too challenging for Dickinson um, to be able to do that. So that's why I, I agreed with that call um, by Michigan. And, and I know it was a heave from the left wing, but UCLA was not going to let anything at the rim. UCLA wasn't allowing anything at the rim under normal circumstances. This was a brilliant defensive performance by the Bruins. And if you play defense like they do, and you get a kid who starts playing possessed, like Juzang's playing right now, I'll tell you what, big picture, Rob, regardless of what happens in the next game, and let's face it, Gonzaga's going to beat UCLA. I don't know how by how much. Um, I wouldn't, if I'm a an, an advocate uh, for, for what you wager on, folks, if you're sitting there right now saying, man, 14 is a lot of points, I'm going to take UCLA, uh, then you haven't watched this Gonzaga team enough and what they do on both ends of the floor. I don't even know what I would do on that front. But here's what I'll say about UCLA. A lot of people doubted the Mick Cronin hire. Goodbye to that. UCLA in the Final Four for the first time in 13 years. It's good for college basketball when UCLA is relevant. And tonight was the culmination for them of, I think, not only in the now, think of the recruits they're going to get. Think of the Pac-12 and how much that does for TV windows. UCLA playing in marquee games. Mm -hmm. This is big for college basketball. It's got a throwback feel, and I, for one, am a big fan. Yep, and I, I, I want to talk more about UCLA in a second, but I do just want to respond to this. Jawan really struggled to make right calls in the end of the game. Uh, he made similar mistakes against Ohio State in the Big Ten tourney. Here's where I'm going to push back on you, Tyler, on, on that take. Um, Franz Wagner got a wide open three from the top of the key with 14 seconds left and Michigan up or down by one wide open. There was no one within five feet of him. Now you can make the argument and, and um, you might be right that Mick Cronin made the decision to go underneath that ball screen and say, okay, if we're going to lose by Franz Wagner, who's played horrible all night making a three, then that's the way that we're going to lose. But at the end of the day, like if that's, that's not a bad shot for you. Franz no. Wagner is going to be an NBA player. He shoots 30-something percent from three. He has a wide, open look from the top of the key. You take that shot. On a final possession, you take that shot and you live with it. It didn't go in, but you live with getting that shot. All you can do is scheme up a good shot, and that was a good shot. The Mike Smith shot, he's going full speed. He's got Tiger Campbell off balance. If you watch him again, Tiger Campbell turns the wrong way at one point. He's sprinting backwards. He has to stop. He doesn't get a contest on Mike Smith stops. He pulls up a guy that averaged 22 points a game last year at Columbia as a shoot first point guard. Got a pull up three in rhythm on the wing. Not the most ideal spot, but that's a shot that Mike Smith probably hits 35 to 40% of the time. Those are the two looks he got at the end of the game. If you're a Michigan fan, you cannot complain about the looks that they got. The shots did not go in. Sometimes they don't go in at the end of games. It happens. That's why we love the sport of basketball. I would have gotten Chandy Brown one more shot late in the game. That's the only thing I would say. I agree with Jordan. I thought Chandy Brown was in a rhythm. I thought he deserved maybe a look or two. Here's what I'll say. Everybody that's arguing about getting to the rim, two things. Number one, Michigan missed so many point blanks at the rim tonight, Rob. I don't mind them getting open perimeter shots. Wagner missed a wide open perimeter shot, and Smith missed a pull-up that was in rhythm. 
And it's also those shots are very different than the like the crossover step back, hand in the face, 25. Those are rhythm open threes with your toes on the line. Like those are great looks. And here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Um, I'm sorry. Has anybody been watching this tournament over the last couple of nights? You're, you're telling me that that you want to have a guard just go down the lane. Do you know what that's going to get called? It's getting called like this every <laughs> time right now. If a guard drives down, and I don't want to put the game in the hands of the officials. I don't. If I'm a head coach right now, I do not want to put the game in the hands of the officials on a drive to the rim. You all could disagree with me. I didn't mind Michigan taking perimeter shots late in the game. Um, I, I just, they missed their last eight shots. It's a make or miss game. I thought they got some good looks out of the eight. They missed their last eight shots. UCLA wasn't that much better, but they were good enough. Yep. All right. Let's talk about UCLA here because I think it's awesome that they're back in the final four. I think it's awesome that Mick Cronin is finally getting some of the credit that he deserves nationally. He was one of, uh, heading into this tournament since last, last tournament got canceled. He was one of six programs or six coaches really that had gotten his team to nine straight NCAA tournaments with, uh, I believe it was Gonzaga, Duke, Kansas, Michigan state. And I want to say it was North Carolina. I'm blanking. I don't have the list in front of me, but whatever it was, it was like the five best programs in college basketball and Mick Cronin at Cincinnati that had been nine straight NCAA tournaments. Now he's been to 10 straight Duke's not here. Right. Um, Kentucky's not here. Right. Uh, no, none of those other blue bloods are here in this moment. He beat Michigan State nope. in the first round of the Big Dance, and now he's in the Final Four. Mick Cronin's in the Final Four. So there's there's a couple things that I want to point out that I think are very very important and that we absolutely need to discuss. First okay. and foremost, there would be nothing more fitting in this season and this year and in 2021 than to have the first ever team to go from the first four to make it to the national title game or to win a national title. And have that team be UCLA, who has won more titles than anybody no. else, the most storied program in the history of the sport. Um, it would be so fitting oh in this God. run to have Hep Cronin become the new sister gene. And it's just perfect for me that a guy who was everybody said he's the wrong fit at UCLA. He cannot win at UCLA. You can't hire a guy who wants to play tough, who wants to do everything for defense, who wants to grind it out, who wants to win games in the 40s and the 50s. It is so perfect and probably so rewarding for Mick Cronin and for everybody on that roster, really, but for Mick Cronin, who everybody said was the wrong hire, to get to the NCAA or to get to the Final Four playing a game as Cincinnati Mick at UCLA. I love that. I love that. I love that. That's great. Okay. Um, this is where I'm going to uh, – okay. I like Mick Cronin a lot. Talked to him over the summer. Um, he's actually the best friend. His best friend is Kevin Willard, who obviously um, we both know well. I know very well. And so I'm sure that Mick is popping over, a, popping open a big bottle of cab tonight in his hotel room. Um, I, I am afraid to alert you, though, that they're going up against one of the greatest teams in the history of college basketball – the 30-0 Gonzaga Bulldogs, who tonight um, just played a different sport than the USC team on the other side was playing. Gonzaga was playing a different sport. It was a varsity team taking on a JV team who was scouting in practice. That's the kind of game that this was tonight. It was humiliation uh, by the Gonzaga Bulldogs, and I absolutely believe that the Zags – will roll on in the Final Four, and I believe that they will roll on in the national championship game. This is one of the greatest teams of all time. I do not think that Baylor's going to give them as good of a game as people think. Gonzaga's winning the national title, and they're going to be 32-0. and And the UCLA run is absolutely spectacular, but under no circumstances am I going to sit here and say, Ju Zhang and Hakez are going to beat Suggs, Nemhard, and Ayayi, and Drew Timmy's going to have problems with Cody Riley. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. UCLA is amazing. Um, think about the Adam Morrison tears. He'll be in the he'll be in the building on the radio for Gonzaga. Think about that Gonzaga UCLA Gus Johnson game. We might have to find Gus this week to talk yeah. about 
We're gonna want to talk about it. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta get, we gotta get Admo. We gotta get, uh, we gotta yeah. get want to talk about that. We gotta get, we gotta get everyone, man. Yeah. So, so, but, but for me, um, I hate to be the like I hate doing this because you got to play the game, and Mick Cronin's gonna try to make it a grinder. I just, I don't see how you're limiting Gonzaga offensively to the degree in which UCLA was able to do it against Michigan tonight. Yeah. Um. I no, I, I absolutely absolutely agree with that. I, I've said all along that I think that that Gonzaga is just going to roll through and win every game by double figures and blow everybody out. Um, I will say this though: uh, Did you think USC could give them a game? Didn't who? Didn't you think USC could give them? Oh a game? no, I did. Yeah, so I thought them. The, the, that's that's the point that I wanted to make. So, okay. um, I thought that what would happen against you against USC is that. So we talked about this a little bit before, right? So much of what Gonzaga does comes through like throwing the ball into Timmy and taking advantage of the fact that you can't stop him one-on-one, more or less, right? And that's what USC is the best at. They are the the best Well, before this game. They were the best team in the country at two-point field goal percentage defense, and that's because Evan Mobley has this unique ability to take away anything within 12 feet of the rim and just make life miserable for anybody trying to hit a shot within – 12 feet of the basket. And what did Gonzaga do? Well, in the first half, they scored 30 points in the paint. Uh, USC had not given up more than 36 points in the paint for an entire game. No, no more than that. Gonzaga put up 30 in the first half. Um, on the season, UCL, uh, USC allowed teams to shoot 41% from two-point range. Uh, in the first half, Gonzaga shot 18 for 29, which is 62%, which, to be fair, is 1% lower than what their uh, their record 63% two-point field goal percentage on the season was. So uh, USC did a pretty good job. They got them down from 63% to 62% from two-point range. Drew Timmy had seven field goals in the paint in the first half. They were He posted up Evan Mobley and hit him with a jump hook. He went by him, went around him with a spin, and finished with his left hand around him. He went right at Evan Mobley and kicked Evan Mobley's ass in the paint. And if you are going to tell me that – Gonzaga is capable of going up against the team that is the best at doing one thing in the country, saying, okay, what we're going to do offensively is attack that one thing that they do better than anybody else and kill them while doing it. It just, that was, uh, I, I'm, I'm, uh, what I'm trying to say is like what Gonzaga was able to do in that first half against USC was so, so, so impressive based off of what that specific matchup was that I, I'm just sitting here like, how can anybody stop them? U.S. was perfectly designed to be able to stop what Gonzaga wants to do, and they had no shot. And it was yeah. so evident two minutes into the game. Yeah, it, it's the best passing team that I've seen, and I haven't been around this sport too, too long. Um, but uh, I'm 25 and have covered Villanova teams very, very closely, and this Gonzaga team is better offensively than those Villanova teams. In 2018, Villanova had four professionals on the floor for the top 33 picks in the draft. This Gonzaga team is even better than that. And you know why, Rob? Because you can't really pick a poison. You can't. You could say, in theory, that you're going to play a little bit off Andrew Nemhart and you're going to play a little bit off Joel Agai and say, we'll, we'll have them shoot threes. But they've been consistent enough and a threat enough to say, I don't know what you do. Now, I see what someone said here, and and uh, one of the Baylor fans who's been very, very good, and I give him a big applause. I, I see you. You got the B uh, logo. I forget your name, but but feel free to comment back. You're right. You're right. Baylor's defense, Rob, could, could for periods of time hold down Gonzaga's offense. But here's where I flip things. Because of how great Gonzaga is offensively, that overshadows the fact that this team is pretty good on defense too. Mm-hmm. They, they do a good job of racking up stops, and when they string those together, they're lethal in transition. So where I have apprehension about a potential Gonzaga-Baylor uh, title game is like I'm just wondering how Baylor is scoring the ball consistently. Andre says, pick your poison. When Brunson went into the post, Villanova was unstoppable. No, Villanova was an outstanding offensive team that year. Um, What I would say is where I differ on Villanova 2018 versus this Gonzaga team is, Gonzaga has better post play than that Villanova team had. 
with Timmy yeah. and Kispert combined. I thought Omari Spellman was good. He wasn't at the level Timmy and Kispert have been at, particularly Timmy. Yeah, they're they're also like very much built differently, like right? Like with Omar Spellman, the whole like his entire existence and his entire value to that Villanova team was his ability to to one protect the ram on one side of the floor and two be able to step out and knock down catch and shoot threes so that Villanova could do their whole like inverting the offense and posting guards thing, right? And you just create all the space in the world because you sure. can't have your five man guard both Amari Spellman and help out on Jalen Brunson, who is going to just body any point guard in the post. Um, with Gonzaga, their offense is built to like basically what they want to do. Like it's it looks complicated and they run a lot of NBA stuff, but the heart of it is very, very, very simple in this in in the sense that what they're trying to do is run Corey Kispert off of different kind of screens and flares and pin down actions to try to get him open. And if that's not working, they're trying to get Jalen Suggs coming off a ball screen, going to his right in a spot where it will allow Timmy to roll to the basket or try to get a little duck in and a seal in the in the lane. That's really all they want to do. Plus, just push the hell out of it in transition. So they're going to run, 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 run. Then they're going to try to get Corey Kispert off a screen. Then they're going to try to get Jalen Suggs off a, off a ball screen. And if none of that works, then they're going to try to get Drew Timmy sealing in the post um, in front of the rim. And it's just, it's very simple things that they do. They are just incredibly efficient at doing those things. And it was kind of the same thing with Villanova, too. But it's just the way that they do them um, is different. But I will say this. I got a big question for you. Hit me. If you were to make a spread for Gonzaga Baylor right now, what would your spread be? Probably Gonzaga by about four and a half or so. Um, I just think the, the, the biggest issue that you're going to run into with that matchup is what to do um, against some of the switches that Gonzaga has and what to do uh, with Drew Timmy in the post. I think that's going to be the biggest thing Um, because when you're switching everything, there's going to be times where you end up having like, I don't know, like Macy Oteague or even a Mark Vital or Davion Mitchell, one of those guys guarding Timmy in the post, and that you just cannot do that, right? Timmy's the one guy you cannot do that against. Um, So that kind of limits some of what, uh, what um, Baylor wants to do defensively. The other part of it, and, and we talked about this a little bit last night uh, when we talked about Houston in the matchup, is that the no middle defense, here, here's the way that you break down Baylor's no middle defense, is you get your playmaker on a wing, you put shooters around the perimeter, and you have these guys drive baseline, but not but but drive to get to about 15 feet away from the basket, not close enough to the help defender, so that they're able to draw a charge, they're able to trap you, but enough that you force Baylor to go through their rotations and to make the like to, to to rotate and to move the the help side defenders, and you want playmakers that can get to about 15 feet away from the basket, driving baseline, have the ball in their strong hand, and be able to read the floor. Okay, who's going to end up be open? Is it going to be Corey Kispert over there on the weak side wing? Is it going to end up being um, Joel Iyayi on the weak side baseline as he cuts to the basket? Am I going to have a, anywhere where I can get the ball to Drew Timmy flashing somewhere in the post? Is there going to be Jalen Suggs open at the top of the key? Like, those are the things that you're going to end up looking for. And Gonzaga has three Jimmy point guards on the floor at the same time. And there, there's nobody better than Joel Iyayi at moving without the ball in and around the basket. No one better than Drew Timmy at moving without the ball and finding space and around the basket. And nobody better at catching and shooting when he's open than Corey Kisper. So it, it's part of it is that um that like the individuals just kind of it's, it's gonna be a tough matchup individually. But the way that that Baylor's defense wants to operate is just not what you want when you have a team that is built the way that Gonzaga is built. Does that make sense? It absolutely does, and I love the comments coming in. I think a lot of you guys are right. Um, Jimmy Blower made a couple of, of good comments there. You've got to be able to get Timmy into some sort of foul trouble. Yes. yes. And I do think that history in baseball is right in that Kispert is the X factor. I think Kispert is an X factor and so much more for Gonzaga because if he's knocking down perimeter shots, um, his game is just so – so solid, so well-rounded. But I just don't know, Rob, like watching Baylor offensively at times, they go through their droughts. And by the way, it's not a foregone conclusion that Baylor beats Houston. I expect no. Houston's guards to be able to pressure Baylor. And if if Houston can get off to a good start, I know it sounds cliche, but 
you can't be trailing Baylor. You can't. You can't be trailing Baylor. Houston's got to set the tone of this game, not defensively. I have confidence on that end of the floor. But can Dejon Giroux and Quinn Grimes make enough plays early in this game? And can Houston knock down a couple of perimeter shots? Sasser hitting threes could be big in this game. We've talked about Gorham's ability to rebound the ball. Houston has a chance. They have a good chance. And, in fact, I think that's going to be a close competitive game. Kelvin Sampson's too good, I think, to go down easy. But I think for the Cougars, they're going to have to – can they just get their legs under them and make a couple of shots? I think that Baylor's offense is capable of going through ruts and going through droughts. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Um, You know, but Phil just said it. The fact you can say Kispert is an X factor and an All-American says everything. He's right. This is one of the greatest offensive teams in the history of the sport because they don't rely on one guy, but they could. They don't rely on any one guy, but they could rely on one guy and win the game. That's the difference from Gonzaga and Michigan. Michigan can't rely on any one guy. Gonzaga could if they needed to. Yeah, and you know what the the scary part is? There's there's two parts of that that's scary. One, um, the guys that like you you haven't even mentioned their their X factors, uh, <laughs> the 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 fourth and fifth best starters on the team. One of them is Andrew Nemhard, who averaged twelve points and five assists while playing on a like a tournament quality team for two yep. years as a McDonald's All American as a point guard at Florida. The other one is Joella Yayi, who last year averaged like ten points, six boards, four assists as a compliment, as like a secondary ball handler um, and shooting 36% from the floor, uh, who is going to end up one day playing for the French national team is probably going to be a pro. He's he's their fifth best starter. That's kind of playing as the fourth in this offense just because like that's the only way that you can get him on the floor. Um, and the scariest part is they have not even come close to playing their A game in this tournament. And they beat Norfolk State by 43. They beat Oklahoma by 16. They beat uh, Creighton by 18. And they won tonight by whatever. What would end up being 19 points? So uh, they're they're running people off the floor. And we have not seen Suggs, Kisper, and Timmy all have a good game at the same time. That's that's worrying. That's really scary. Um, By the way, Italian Stallion, can somebody please give Mick Cronin credit? Look, this is the best coaching job of the tournament. He made this a meat grinder tonight against a really good Michigan team that's been in a meat grinder before. And with Johnny Juzang's star power and Tiger Campbell's playmaking ability, I give a ton of credit to Mick Cronin for the job he did in this game. And the way that he made Michigan play one-on-one basketball, that's really impressive defense by the Bruins. And Mick Cronin deserves all the credit in the world. He was doubted when he was hired in Westwood. He's overcome those doubters, and he silenced them. He won the game in the Cincinnati style that we all came to, if you're in Cincinnati, love. But for a lot of people that love quality, aesthetically pleasing basketball, you don't love it, but you respect it. And I have an immense respect for Mick Cronin. He's a throwback coach. He's got some players who have bought in, and he's done it in just his second year for a UCLA program that Rob, frankly, was reeling. Remember the articles two years ago about mm-hmm. the flying and about how the job's nowhere near what it was, and John Wooden's just a, you know, like it's just such a memory of the past. It's nothing like that anymore. This is the type of run that gets your program back into that oh, kind Big time. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, and I'm, I'm, you know what, I'm, I'm happy, I'm happy that it was Mick. Um, him and I disagree on some things when it comes to uh, the way that college basketball should be run, but um, I think he's a very, very good coach that deserves a little bit more credit than he gets. Uh, I want to ask Freedom, um, Freedom Gripe. I uh, so. Uh, Ayayi, was he playing with the like the 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 senior national team? Then I know he's been in the French national. Um, Joel Ayayi has been in like the French national program. Was he playing for the senior national team already? I didn't. I don't think I realized that. I thought he was with like the. I remember when he was with the under 19s. I think at the 2000 was it the 2018. Um, whatever. Well, he was at the same thing that uh that that Umar Bala was at. Um. I can't remember what what specifically event it was, but uh, drop drop a mention in the comment if you remember what it was. All right, um, I think I think Fana, uh, let's talk a little bit about what you see coming out of these um, these final four matchups and uh, and what you expect out of them, and, and we'll get a little bit of picks. And I, you know what I want outside of Gonzaga winning a national title. This is what I want. Actually, I scrapped it. We talked about the matchup. This is what I want. 
what is your favorite storyline heading into this this final four outside of Gonzaga um, potentially having the chance to uh, to go undefeated? What's your favorite storyline here? Wow, that's a great question. Um, you want me to go first? No, my my favorite storyline is Hep Cronin. Um, let, let's think about this, everybody. For twelve months. Uh, Mick Cronin and his father did not get to see each other at all in person because of the pandemic uh, and because of everything we've been through. And everybody out there that's watching us right now at 12.59 a.m., like Rob and I, you experienced the pain of this pandemic. And as sports fans, we really experienced the emptiness that that the pandemic caused uh, on us not being able to have a March Madness. And isn't a father-son relationship, uh, the embodiment of life. And so I'll go an extra layer beyond basketball and say, I just find it so cool that Mick Cronin and Hep Cronin have been together now for the last three and a half weeks. And a father just looks so proud of his son. And I think Houston's a terrific story. They, they haven't been back on the map like this in a long time. Scott Drew and Baylor, I'm not surprised at all, Rob, at what they've done. But for me, when you think about everything that we've been through over the last year and change and the fact that college basketball, college basketball is the only sport that wasn't able to crown a champion during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. My favorite storyline is kind of that balance between basketball and life. And, um, you know, Miles is saying class is saying chess or tennis. I mean, look, folks, it, this is a terrific story um, of kind of overcoming doubters. And I, I give Mick a lot of credit for how he stuck with it. And I give UCLA, I think we all have to acknowledge what it's taken to get here. And the fact that in the first four, to go from first four to final four and be the second program to do it, joining Shaka Smart and BCU, that's my favorite storyline entering the week because they're going to get counted out all week. They'll probably lose this game, um, but they've, they've been so, so tough. And I think when you think about everything that we've been through as a society – to see a father and son as happy as those two are to see each other is really, really cool. In fact, I just saw that that Mick, after the game, Pete Thamel was tweeting this, Pat Forty as well. Mick Cronin sanitized his hands and tried to throw three final four caps up to his family. And a security said, Mick can't do that. So um, I just like to say this, uh, the security can screw off. Um, <laughs> Mick Cronin has tested every day. He sanitized his hands. Let them throw the caps up to people. Can we all just calm down for a moment? The pandemic hasn't gone anywhere. Mask up, folks. Nick Crone's allowed to throw hats up to his family if he wants to. <laughs> yeah. Security, let him throw some hats up, okay, to his father. Yeah, I, here I'll I'll say this, Fanta. Um, it's freaking. I can I can promise you that if it was Mick Crone trying to throw a hat to his dad, uh, that he was. That, that somebody told those security guards to F off. I do want to elaborate on that, though, because that's not the only like kind of father, son, familial storyline that we have in this. this oh, I, know, I, know um, I mean, look, Kel- Kelvin Sampson is the head coach at Houston. Part mm-hmm. of the reason that he signed an extension for as long as he did at Houston is because he's trying to set up that program uh, to be able to be inherited by his son, Kellen, who is currently, I don't, is he associate now? I think he's just an assistant, but Kellen Sampson is his son and is on the staff. So you got that there. Um, Alvin Brooks, senior, is it senior? Is it Alvin Brooks, the second, whatever it is, there's the, Alvin Brooks, the third is an assistant on Baylor staff. His father is an assistant on Houston staff. Again, awesome storyline, really fun. Sucks for them that, that only one of them is going to be able to make it to the title game. But, you know, uh, one of them is going to make the title game. So there, there's that. Um, and so that's some of that stuff is really, really cool. My There's a couple things that I like. One is kind of like the redemption angle of, of, of a lot of these teams that made the Final Four. Um, you know, you have Baylor coming back from what they came back from and, and, and Scott Drew building that program. You have Kelvin Sampson who was a guy that was disgraced because he made too many phone calls, which like (laughs) in college basketball, making too many phone calls is the thing that can get you a five-year show cause penalty. Um, I think that that's pretty cool. Uh, The, 
the comeback of UCLA to being like a, a nationally relevant powerhouse program, that's a good thing. Bill Walton losing his mind over the Pac-12, that's going to be awesome. So there's there's a lot of things about this this final four that I'm really, really excited about. And I'll be honest, like I'm this is the first one that I've missed since 2009. First time that I've not been in a final four yeah. since 2009. So it sucks. I'm going to miss it. Uh, you know, there's hey, being able hey, to go through. Listen, next year, the final four is in New Orleans. And Jeff Goodman is buying drinks for everybody in the buyer. Yes, he is. He promises that. Anybody that's in the chat right now that makes it to, uh, that makes it, anybody that likes this video and that subscribes to the channel um, on YouTube or retweets this on Twitter. Listen. Uh, and you're in the chat. Jeff Goodman will buy you at least one drink if you are in New Orleans next year for the Final Four. We are going to be up and down Bourbon Street, folks. I'll do a shot with anybody. We are going to be partying so much. It's going to be a beautiful scene. Life is going to be beautiful. The Final Four is going to be happening in New Orleans. It's going to be terrific. Like, subscribe. I'll buy one for you, too, and we'll see you down in New Orleans right out there. I, I, I will say this. I will say this. The one problem for uh, with, with having Final Fours in New Orleans yeah, is New Orleans is one of the, the few cities in the great country that we live in that does not have a set time where they tell you to go home from the bars. Oh, <laughs> and, and I can tell you that – that is a little bit risky. No. When, no. when they don't when they don't tell you it's time to go home, uh, there's times where you might be out until uh, six, seven, eight o'clock in the morning, which is not always not always ideal when you got to wake up at ten to get to a press conference and go interview a bunch of nineteen year olds. So, oh man. Anyway, Fanta, this was fun. Um, Final four set, baby. The final four set, and uh, look, Justin Miller. <laughs> I, I will. I will never forget you, buddy. I will mm. never forget you. Um, oh, how about this? How about this one? One, first and foremost, Goodman is a lot of fun at the Final Four. Um, Hayden, if you were at the 2017 Final Four at any of the Gonzaga parties at the clubs in Scottsdale, uh, we definitely hung out because I went to all of the Gonzaga parties there. I remember, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna save this one. I'll tell you this one off the air. I'm not gonna say this one publicly. There's too many. Okay. Okay. There's, too, there's too many people I here. I saw you in Minneapolis. Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell that story off the air too. <laughs> yeah, that's another off-air story. Um, yeah, I, I have a history of not saying hello to Rob for whatever yeah, reason. That's what he does. He doesn't like saying hello. As soon as the, the thing about fans is he's great. He always says hi to me. But as soon as there's famous people around, he's all talking to them, and it's just like, who am I? Oh, just that guy over there, that jerk off over there, field of 68, whatever. He's not important enough. I'm going to go talk. I'm going to go talk to Mark Titus. I'm going to go talk to this guy. I'm going to go talk to the head of Intersport. Hold on. To give the fans um, a visual of the media at the Final Four, this is my favorite moment of the entire weekend. They come on at the end of the night after the national championship game. It's Monday night. And if you're a reporter, you're working on your your final game stories. You're starting the offseason, like with your way too early top 25. The the national championship game night is not a heavy going out night because everyone's got a flight to catch the next morning. They're going on vacation. They're leaving, whatever. So at the national championship game, Rob, at least in Minneapolis, I specifically remember this, the, the press room person comes on a microphone. And says, ladies and gentlemen uh, of the media, we want to thank you for your coverage of the Final Four this year. We'd like to let everyone know that Pizza Hut has arrived to the meal room. You would think that they're giving away vehicles based on the way some of our colleagues are dashing, myself included, dashing for some deep dish Pizza Hut that is like half room temperature. It is amazing. To watch the running of the bulls, uh, I'm not a what? <laughs> Joe read you like a book, baby. He knows it. I just, I just <laughs> have. Hey, okay, listen, you're you're you are 100 correct about that. There's a uh, there's nothing funnier to me than in the, in the media rooms. The 
when people end up like lining up like 40 or 50 people deep waiting for lunch it's like 11 30 they're they're lining up there 40 people leaving in a line to go get the 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 nasty stadium food that they have set up for us for lunch it's what so are you good. doing call me all right maybe i am a diva i do not i'm sorry i don't eat the press food at the final four at the, at the lunch why is the line 50 people deep for for a for a sandwich listen you don't have to be there the sandwiches you don't have to get them hot you can you can go in there. You can get you can get a little. You can get some cold cuts. You can get a nice ham and cheese with a little bit of lettuce, a little bit of tomato, a little bit of mayo. You don't have to be the first one. You can wait twenty five minutes and go and get it later and not have to wait in the line. But I will tell you this: I always I always get the lunches there because <laughs> it for no no. Here is the thing. No, I know, I know. I'm just laughing. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no. I I always make sure I get the lunches there because the unhealthy stuff that they have is never very good. Right. So like that when they they bring out the pasta, the pasta is never very good. If it's like the taco day, the tacos are never very good. Oh, never good. So like it kind of forces me to eat something healthy because the thing about the final four is that. It, like it's it, it's it's the it's the most unhealthy I'll ever be in my life, because I'll be up until four o'clock in the morning every night. We go out drinking every single night. Um, you go every night where there's not games. Someone is like, hey, you know, we have a we, we reserve 15 seats at this table for a dinner. Come come with us. And then it's appetizers and it's desserts. And you're eating a 16 ounce steak with like the, a mountain of potatoes. So it's like all you do is the most unhealthy possible stuff. So if I can get one meal a day in where it's like, ah, I don't I don't want that pasta. I don't really want those tacos. I guess I'm just going to have to eat like these field grains with some balsamic dressing like that, that's, oh, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Although, in, in full disclosure, um, there are never bad cookies at the Final Four, and that's what yeah. I go. Oh God! Like we're about to get out of here. Look at look at this unbelievable Fanta. What did somebody say? Are you ready for this Fanta? Go ahead, flash it this up. Is, this is this is the most unbelievable comment I've ever seen in 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 a chat. On, on any live stream that we've done. Are you ready? I'm about to bring it up on screen. Look at the screen. I'm about to bring it up on screen. There it, there it is, Fanta. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say a quick good night to you guys. I, I, I was, I was, you know, I wanted to sing you maybe a, a song or something, Fanta. You know, a lullaby. Lullaby. Yeah. Yeah. Microwave pizza. So, Goodman, uh, we were telling, Goodman, we were telling the story of, what I'll miss most about not being at the final four in person is when yeah. they come on the media speaker, when the, when the media room's full and everybody's typing away on their game stories and they're super yeah. early top 25 and they yep. go, we want to thank, we want to thank the press for their coverage uh, of the final four. We would like to let everyone know that there's pizza hut in the <laughs> meal room. It is a Zach Braziller is hauling ass well, with a lot well, pepperoni back to his. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you tackled Zach on the way to the pizza because there's only there's only a few of them there sometimes, and I I've seen like Zags tries to bring it back to his hotel. He tries to bring entire pizzas back to his hotel. Exactly, they they offer pizza. There are reporters with entire boxes bringing yes. them back to their seats. Yes. Yes. No, that's not. That's not. By the way, we all determined that you're paying for drinks on Bourbon Street next year in New Orleans. Oh yeah, 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 good man. We said that anybody that's in this chat right now that <laughs> leaves a message and either re- and retweets us, likes yes. the post on Twitter, um, subscribes uh, and and likes the uh, likes the video on YouTube, that you're buying them a drink on Bourbon Street next year. Listen, our, our our audience has grown quite a bit. I'm not sure I can afford that. <laughs> hey, look, you keep liking, you keep subscribing, you keep rating our videos, and uh, like if we you never know, maybe you feel the sixty eight is going to blow up. Probably not. I but. still can't believe UCLA. <laughs> like I'm still in a little bit of shock, guys. I, I just, I'm honestly, I'm honestly not because what did we say this whole tournament is, is that without Isaiah Livers, Michigan is yeah. a different team, um, yeah. and even with Isaiah Livers. Michigan doesn't have really all that many game changers. What I'm really surprised about is that UCLA won a game like Cincinnati, Cincinnati's McCronin teams. That's how UCLA won, right? Totally, right. totally. I mean, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Goodman, Goodman, we don't the, we 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 covered a lot of the ground here, but I, yeah. I do want to get a sense from you because you were in the building. What was 
what was the atmosphere like there? And what was the scene like um, after the game? After like after a hard fought game like that for UCLA advancing as an 11 seed, like what is set set the stage first for what it's like in that yeah. building? It was funny because after Gonzaga won, it was almost like like they 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 had some fun. You know, they all pick up their phones. Because that's their way of connecting right now. You can't, again, nobody comes out, no media, nothing. So they're kind of sitting there themselves, you know, dancing around for a little bit, taking videos. And then they're kind of looking at each other like, all right, like, what's next, guys? Let's cut down the nets. And, okay, we, we, we they were obviously um, not nearly as excited. UCLA was out of their minds. I mean, it was awesome. Watching that scene in Gonzaga's was completely different. Uh, now, again, Jalen Suggs and Drew Timmy are like little kids. Like, four-minute timeout. I'm telling you, four-minute timeout, I forget what the score was. It was like, I don't know, 14-5 or something like that. Uh, the first media timeout, I'm watching these two. And you know how they call the timeout and the coaches go and talk first, and then they'll walk over to the, you know, to the huddle and, and they'll start talking to the team. Friggin' Suggs and Timmy are just sitting there laughing hysterically. I mean, they're two total clowns. And uh, you could see right then it was almost like, all right, like, we got these guys. This is going to be a complete train wreck of a game. They knew it right away. And when we all knew it right away. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. Well, so uh, did you – the, the, the Bert Smith thing happened like 10 feet from me. 10 yeah, feet. Well, uh, that's, what, that's what I was about to ask you. Like, what, what, happened with, what happened with that? Do you know how he is? He's going to the hospital. I think he's at sure. the hospital now. I know they said that he wasn't going earlier, but I, I'm I'm 99% sure that he decided to go to the hospital. Um, initially, he's telling other people he thought it was just um, dehydration, but I'm assuming at, at some point it's like, hey, you got to go to the hospital and get tested just yeah. to be sure yeah. for and, to be safe, man. Like, what are you, what are you thinking? Not going to the hospital? You just you just well, on national television and fell backwards and smacked your head on the floor. Like, what? Why? Why would not going to the hospital? Ever how about this? Me? How about this? I had refs that I was texting with during the game, and they said, "You wonder if any of this had to do with the fact that uh, they were all locked in." And they couldn't do anything for these last two weeks. They're all in their hotel. Remember, they can't really, they can't get exercise. They can't really go out. I, I don't think they can really do anything. So I don't think it necessarily had to do with that. Um, hopefully, it was just dehydration. But you wonder if they're a little bit out of shape. They're used to running around all the time, and I, I don't, well, I don't know. But I just well, hope he's okay. You know what? Here, here's what what should be said. People don't, I don't think, fully understand this. Just how much the officials are doing. Yeah. Um, to follow everything. Oh. And people have to bear in mind, too, like when these officials are working for different leagues, they are following things to a T according to that conference. If they do anything wrong, they could get knocked out for a couple weeks. And this is these people's income. Like when these guys are working, are busting their ass every night, getting from one city to the other during COVID-19 because they have to make a living during well, these times. Even worse, Anna. Even worse when they're here. So they're getting an extra $1,000 per segment, okay? But – a lot of them have jobs, side jobs, right? A lot of them don't make, you know, they're, they're not working enough games. Um, they they are not getting paid during the day. They're getting paid per game. Yeah. And then they're getting like an extra $1,000 per segment. And and for the first, like for the first and second round, I don't know if you guys want to guess how much it is. Take a guess how much it is for like the first and second round to officiate a game in the NCAA tournament and then for like the final four. Uh, just again, tell us, tell us. Uh, no, I'll, I'll take a guess. For, yes. the, for the first and second round, yeah. I'm going to guess that they're paying, I would say, a, a, a good amount of change. So I'm going to say 2800 and then as time goes on, maybe closer to five for the game. I think it's, it's closer to 2500 from my memory for the first and second round and about 3500 for the uh, final four. Oh, I'd make it even more, but okay. Yeah, I was surprised that it was only 3500 for the final four, but – um, yeah, so anyway, so Bert Smith. Can we, all, can we all start a GoFundMe for the crew that we would like for the Final Four? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, uh, John Higgins back here. Uh, you know, uh, Roger Ayers healthy and back here. Uh, you know, some of those guys, but they're not coming back. Uh, you know, uh, Bo Borowski actually thought officiated a good game tonight with his crew in the, in the late game. Um, 
they just couldn't score. Like you said, Rob, like Michigan just they couldn't score tonight. And I mean, that Mike Smith look, I, I know they could have gotten a little bit closer, maybe, but he no. had a good look. Yeah, the Mike Smith, look, look, Mike Smith is a guy that was a shoot first point guard at Columbia that averaged hey, 20 that game. Right. That's that is a great shot that you can get with six seconds left having to go the length of the court. The I shot mean, that Franz Wagner got before that, a yeah. great shot. Like I, I don't yeah. I don't fault the players for missing him because like you make some, you miss some. Yeah. I don't fault Juwan Howard for the, the what he no. called or what he designed. Those are the sh- those are about as good of shots as you're gonna get. Just kind of it is what it is, man. Like that that How right there. How about the missed free throws? How about the missed point blank looks of the rim? If you're gonna sit here and argue about the three pointers. At the end, those were taken because Michigan could literally not buy a bucket inside. Dickinson blows a blows a land. Um, how about Smith? Mike Smith was going downhill and had an open lane, and he just missed it. I mean, it was just it was uncaring. I mean, but, but here's the other thing, Fancy. You got to the the stuff that they were missing inside. Um, Cody Riley, what he does defensively, like with his leverage. And his ability to kind of like lean on you and keep you from being able to get to where you want to go. The other problem is um, when you have when you're sitting on Hunter Dickinson's left, uh, his right shoulder, so that because he wants to go to his left hand, right, so over his right shoulder. So you sit on his right shoulder, and it just it makes it very very difficult when you have that weight on that shoulder. And the the problem is less that they couldn't that that Hunter couldn't finish inside, and more like, dude, go to your fucking right hand. Holy shit. How do you expect to play in the NBA if you cannot go to your right hand? He's a one-trick pony. Like that, yeah. that's what he was shown as a one-trick pony in that game. That is me, that's the thing that you should be worried about. And like, look, I don't want to, I don't want to kill the kid because he's been unbelievable this season. And that's where is why Michigan is where they are right now. They're not in the Elite Eight if Hunter Dickinson doesn't have a great year. Right. But there are things that he needs to work on and things that he needs to develop. And Mick Cronin did a great job of making sure that his team took away the things that he does well and force him to have to try to do the things that he does not do well. Does also, that make sense? Yeah, uh, yeah, but yes, it, do, it makes total sense. You're absolutely right. What I would submit is they missed their final eight shots of the game. By the law of metrics, you would think that they would make one. <laughs> yeah. And I also, I also thought – Eventually, right? Eventually. You, you don't think that Franz Wagner would miss a jump shot by a full Mike Smith. I really would have liked I think it was not even close. Goodman, how close was that? If we laid John Fanta laid down, right, on the floor, yeah. would that ball have been closer to John Fanta's head or closer? Yeah. If his feet were under the basket, would that have been closer to his head or closer to his feet? I think it would have been closer. It might have hit you right in the face. I don't know, but man. I um, I, I just and I also thought Chandy Brown could have gotten a look of some sort because I thought Chandy Brown was in a little bit of rhythm. Um, but yeah. I, you know, look, they, they did what they could credit to Johnny Jr. He played his ass off. He was awesome. He was awesome. I just asked them actually on the call. I said, um, you know, were you at all worried about playing for Mick Cronin? Cause he's such a defensive minded coach and Juzang's all about obviously scoring the ball. And he was like, no, that's kind of what I wanted. I, I wanted somebody to hold me accountable. It was almost like, Whoa, boy, what are you saying about Kentucky? If you're saying you wanted a coach and a program to hold you accountable. Yeah. He, yeah. I mean, it, it was weird. It was weird to me, but um, yeah, Juzang was terrific. Um, you know, tonight again, Gonzaga is just so much fun to watch, guys. They are just so much fun to watch. They just have fun out there, and it comes so easy to them. That's the part is they just move the ball. And again, I just think it all starts with Jalen Suggs because he could be a pig if he wanted to be. And nobody would fault him. Everybody, would be like, okay, you know what? Yeah, he's trying to be the number one pick. He's trying to. Yeah. It's it's the big stage. You know, he's going to want to be the guy. And instead, like he just completely lets the game come to him. I love their um their pregame warm up. Yeah. And there, you know, somebody said to me on Sunday at Hinkle Fieldhouse, they're watching Gonzaga warm up. And if you watch Gonzaga warm up, somebody made a good point. They said, "Man, you watch them warm up, and you think, oh, how great could they be?" Yeah. And then you watch, and then you watch them in their little huddle before the game, where Kispert and Timmy are doing all their shenanigans, yeah. Yeah. and you're thinking, well, "Well, man, a team doing this shenanigans, they must like each other." And then you watch them just kill the opposition, and it makes you say, "This this team is a is the perfect machine." And pregame, it's everything Mark Few doesn't want to do because Mark Few is so yeah. here. But this team gets along so well yeah. that 
uh, like you said, Jeff, it would be easy to see Jalen Suggs make that make that NBA type move. This team is just a superb machine. They they don't have any holes. They're one of the great teams of college basketball history, and that's why they're going to cut down the nets next week. Guys, look, there's only one way that I think that UCLA would actually have a chance to be able to win this game. Angelo <laughs> <laughs> Ball, baby. What would he steal? What What would he steal from Gonzaga? The ball. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think even if they gave it to him, he might not steal it. Oh man! Listen, all right, all right. Goodman, It was glad. It was good to see you. I'm glad that you popped in. Yeah, I, I tried my best. I, I literally, I literally just got a text from Deshaun. And he yeah. goes, he just, he literally, right now, 124 a.m., he, he just texts me. He goes, my bad, bro. I passed out on the couch. I've been texting him since 930. I'm not. 930? Yeah, he had, I mean, his, he had a, he's wow. been up since like 630 with like the coaches. And he's old. Deshaun's yeah, he's old, old, man. He, look, he's washed. He's yeah, washed. He he's washed. not young and vibrant like we are. No uh, doubt. Anyways, this was fun. Uh, Jeff and I are going to be back here at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. Just uh, a quick recap, Jeff. We're going to. We're gonna have we're gonna have a we're gonna have a long conversation about something that has nothing to do with the basketball that was played. Um, I promise you that. But uh, until then, um, we will see you guys again tomorrow morning. We got a final four, baby, is here. Let's go.